This episode of Very Vedic is brought to you by Learn to Let Go, a unique and powerful audio course from Matt and Anna that will help you to let go of whatever's holding you back. For details, go to bondimeditation.com.au slash learn to let go. Hello, Anna. Hello, Matt. How are you going? Getting there. As you know, had a bit of the flu. Yes, we've both been sick. You can probably hear it in our voices, maybe. Yeah, so in case everyone's wondering, you know, where we've been, we can't blame it all on the flu. No. (laughs) Um, We've been trying to get around to it. um, But yeah, we both had it all set in, ready to go, and then both got the flu, the traditional flu. But feeling better, but a bit, bit crackly, a bit croaky. Yes. Yes. So how are you going? What what are we going to talk about today, Anna? I kind of know because you told me the other day what, you, yes. what you're interested in talking about. Yeah, I, I would love to chat about boundaries. Mm. Um, it's been coming up a lot in life and I've been trying to, yeah, understand boundaries a bit more and also wanting to understand how they land in the Vedic perspective um, because I also understand in the Vedic perspective that, you know, everything's one and we're all connected and ultimately everything's the same thing and connected. So are boundaries important in the Vedic worldview? And if so, why? Yeah, it's a funny one, isn't it? Because like you say, the Veda is all based on this idea that ultimately there's only one thing mm. and it's all working together. So it kind of seems like um the purest way of living that we should be aiming for maybe would be living without any boundaries but we actually do need boundaries and they do they do serve an important purpose even very enlightened people like um maharishi mahashogi jesus mother teresa they all had boundaries mother teresa was actually you know we kind of think of her as this sweet little old lady which she was of course but she was actually also particularly well known for getting annoyed with people wasting a time when she could have been helping someone else Ah. yeah (laughs) so if we don't have any boundaries we're denying nature because nature has boundaries karma actually is boundaries so nature uses karma to keep us on the right track and help us evolve yeah Mm. so think about karma like the banks of a river leading us towards the ocean ideally we want to stay in the middle of the river with the fastest current and when we stay in the middle within the boundaries we evolve most quickly and life's good and when we bang into the sides of the river we experience karma and we suffer so bit by bit we learn to stay in the middle of the river away from the rocks at the side and that's how nature uses boundaries to help us evolve is that making sense that that kind of image yeah that's such a good way of putting it actually yeah, we've talked about it before. I think we've used the kind of road analogy before. Yes, yes. River's a good analogy. So a real life example, say we're in the habit of doing something which isn't helping our evolution. Like obvious example, going out and getting horribly drunk every Friday, Saturday and Sunday and doing things we regret and, and doing that over and over again. 
That's the equivalent of constantly steering into the banks of the river and mm. getting smashed on the rocks. Mm. You know, the hangover, the guilt, the regret. That's the suffering that comes from bashing into the rocks. That's the result of not honoring the boundary. So we recognize, okay, there's a boundary and we can either honor it and move back into the middle of the river or we can ignore it and do the same thing the next night and smash into the rocks again. The more we ignore the boundaries, the more the river starts to narrow and it gets harder and harder to avoid the rocks. There's only a little bit of river in the middle and we suffer more and more until eventually we've had enough suffering and we start honoring the boundaries and then the river widens out again. So that's how nature's boundaries work. It, it might feel like they're blocking us, but really what they're doing is guiding us. So if we're setting boundaries for ourselves or for anyone else, we want to achieve the same thing. We want our boundaries to mimic nature's boundaries so they help everyone evolve. Yes. Mm. Wow. So how do we do that? How do we mimic nature's boundaries? Ideally by following charm. Charm's the best way to map out our own personal boundaries because it always obeys nature's boundaries. Mm. It helps us sense where the evolutionary currents are so we can steer into those currents rather than the other approach, which is to constantly bang into the boundaries mm. until eventually we've suffered enough and get the message that something needs to change. Mm. That's the popular approach in the world today, banging into the boundaries, but it's obviously the approach we want to move away from because we suffer more. Yes. So charm is the best way of guiding us between the boundaries, keeping us within the boundaries. Um, so that's the theory, but just one problem. As you know, from being a human being, there's a part of ourselves that can't help stepping over the boundaries no matter how obvious they are. You know, we, can, we can know very clearly, we can feel the charm, know very clearly that we shouldn't do something. And we can say to ourselves, I'm definitely not going to do it. That's not going to end well. It didn't end well last time. And, and then we still do the thing. Just a simple example, like knowing we shouldn't eat a whole tub of Ben and Jerry's ice cream because it always ends up making us feel rubbish. Mm. But then we eat it all anyway. Don't know if you ever do that, Anna. Oh, yeah, Something similar. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So sometimes the impulses are too strong to resist. Uh, I had a funny example of this the other night. I was on a Strata meeting on Zoom, which is where the, the owners of all the flats in a building meet and discuss what he's doing with the building. I'm sure everyone probably knows that, but just in case. And we've had a leaky roof for ages, which I think I might even have moaned about in one of these episodes. Anyway, we finally had the meeting that we're going to vote on it and have it fixed after literally years of meetings, deciding all the details. Then someone comes to the voting meeting who's never bothered turning up to any of the meetings before and basically starts blocking it, knowing nothing about it. Oh. And I felt myself, I was starting to lose it. You know, I had really strong impulse to say things to him that were definitely not going to be helpful. But there must have been a little bit of consciousness still in play because I realised that there was something I could do even though I couldn't control the emotions. And I just muted myself on the, on the computer and turned off my camera. And I was like, let off a bit of steam, got it out of my system. And then I turned it back on, sitting there nice as pie. So I was basically setting myself some last resort boundaries. And this is where having a bit of knowledge about the mechanics of karma can be very handy. Because the thing is with karma, we can have all the bad intention in the world, but if we don't express it, through speech or action, if we don't speak it or act it, we don't get the karmic correction. So even though I was definitely triggered, I just managed to avoid causing myself or anyone else suffering. So hopefully I avoided stepping over the boundary 
and I got away with it. Yeah, I've never actually thought about that, that that you can kind of think things and experience things, say, in your body, but if you don't act on it, then you don't acquire karma. Yeah, they're the laws of karma. Um, My teacher Tom explained this to me with a really good example. It's like, say you've got a neighbour and you're thinking of building on, just encroaching a little bit onto their land because you want to build yourself a nice infinity pool, right? And you just need to go, let's say, I don't know, 10 metres onto their land in order to build your pool. So you've got the architect round, he's drawn the plans, and then so far, no karma, right? And then you've got, um, then you've got all your builders, they've turned up and they're all ready to go, but they're still on your land. They haven't gone onto the neighbor's land yet and they've got the bulldozers and they've got the spades, but they haven't actually dug anything or touched the land yet. Still no karma. But then when the first spade goes in and you start digging on the neighbor's land, then all that intention that was behind the action then gets rolled in and gets included in the karmic correction. Does that make sense? Yes, it does make sense. But until you've actually taken the action or said the words or done the deed, which caused somebody else or yourself suffering, you don't actually accumulate the karma until that point. Mm, Okay. So in the case of the strata meeting, you know, I was pretty... I was pretty harmless, really. I'd muted the muted the microphone. I'd turned off my video and I was like, what the? <laughs> and I was having a bit of a moment because I couldn't control it. But I managed to not let that seep out and affect other people's experience. Yeah. And ultimately, I didn't really suffer. Now, ideally, you know, I might practice the letting go technique or something like that. But that was even beyond me. Mm. You know, I was definitely overwhelmed by the emotion. So the most harmless, karma-free thing I could do was what I did. Mm. So it was still a boundary that I drew for myself. I suppose the reason I'm kind of talking about it is it's like if we're going to be setting boundaries for ourselves, the more we understand about karma, the better, because that's what we're imitating. We're imitating nature's boundaries, which are karma. Yes. Why do boundaries sometimes feel so hard to put into play? And I'm wondering in particular what the relationship between boundaries and love is because sometimes it feels in that moment um, like you want to say you want to help somebody but it doesn't feel right. That, mm. that helping someone would feel like love, right? But actually the most loving thing to do might be to say no, but it can feel really tricky. Yeah, it definitely can feel tricky for lots of reasons. For a start, we're upsetting the status quo and instigating change. And as we know, that has a tendency to make us feel uncomfortable and less stable. And that's something we need to move through. And it can feel like we're taking something away from somebody by putting a boundary in place. Like, for example, taking our attention away from them. And that might not feel like the most loving thing to do on the surface of it. But that's actually a mistake of the intellect. Boundaries should all be about helping us evolve. That's the end game with all this Vedic stuff. It's all leading us into having a direct experience of that place of pure love that's in all of us. That's the ocean that the banks of the river are leading us towards. And it's not always the most loving thing to do to give the other person unlimited access to us. We can even end up becoming an enabler if we jump to attention every time they want us. It starts holding back their evolution because they never become self-sufficient. They never get to access their own inner guru because they don't have to. So 
I'm not saying drop anyone you're supporting like a hot potato so they have to stand on their own two feet. You want to get the timing right, of course, but encouraging self-sufficiency at the right time by removing some attention is actually a loving thing to do. So we should get over any feelings of guilt we have around not giving everyone free access to us all the time. It's not always the best thing. Yes. And do you think that you need, so you're talking about removing attention, for example. Yeah. So that's a, that's a, almost like an energetic boundary. Mm. And, and when do you think boundaries need to be spoken? Yeah, definitely speech has its place with boundaries, but we need to make sure that the speech is skillful enough. We've got to be careful that we're not venting any lower emotions like fear or anger or pride or guilt and those kind of things when we're setting the boundaries because they'll distort the boundaries and make them less helpful. The last thing we want to do when we set a boundary is create an enemy, for example. Uh. I love Maharishi's quote about that. He says, the existence of our enemies is evidence of the insufficiency of our friendliness. Yeah. That's probably the number one most useful quote from Maharishi for me because it inspires you to be more sophisticated and more skillful in any situation that might bring about confrontation or conflict, like, for example, setting a boundary. With some people, we'll have to impose the boundaries very gently, you know, coax them very softly into their evolutionary current. But sometimes a bit more tough love might be more effective. And I experienced this myself, actually, with Tom, um, you know, Tom Knowles, on our teacher training. Yes. Because he, I was having a bad time, as I've definitely mentioned in these podcasts, and Tom was just being the sweetest, most loving, supportive guy, you know. He was giving me massages on my shoulders, pressing his thumbs into my eyeballs, <laughs> giving me these kind of cosmic visuals, <laughs> and just generally being just lovely. And then one day, I, I, was having, I was struggling to pass the final test, and I just went to him and said, oh, Tom, you know, I can't do this, I can't. And he just goes, Matt, just go and do it. I was like, whoa. Suddenly a complete shift in energy. But it was what I needed to hear. You know, that's actually what I needed in that moment to strengthen my resolve and find my inner strength was just that tough love. Yes. So the way we express and communicate the boundary can vary depending on the person and the situation. But the motivation should always be inspiration and upliftment in some way or other even if it's even if they feel challenged by it we want to uplift them ultimately you see we don't want to be one of those people with really harsh rigid boundaries that kind of electrocute anyone that comes near us you know what I mean yeah and I think that that is the visual that people often have of boundaries which can feel like um and then it can feel nerve-wracking putting those into place because it feels like you need to have this big field around you and it's kind of there's like like a brutality to it. But to know that actually I can be fully in my heart and fully loving the whole time while implementing boundaries is that is such a different perspective. Yes, yeah, the usual Vedic advice, which is we don't want to be destructive apart from as a very last resort. We want to be creative. So look at the boundaries as those creative guides rather than electric fence, which has a much more brutal or destructive effect. We want the boundaries to be fluid, depending on the situation, the person, how we feel at the time, and always from love. And as I said before, it might not always be best to speak your boundaries. Sometimes just removing your attention is the best way. That's the more stealth approach. Hmm. I love the idea of it being fluid as well. 
because sometimes that's how I can tell whether I'm coming from my heart or my head. Um, in my head, I might make something like a very big uh, call, say, around a person or like shutting down that relationship or something and it's like final and just it, it can feel like that's the end. But then I drop into my heart and it's like, you know, maybe just like take some steps back for today or for a month and see how you feel in a month, see how, you know, this lands in a month. Yeah, you don't need to plan it out and map it out into the future even. Moment to moment with boundaries might be absolutely enough and in fact the most refined way of doing it. What was necessary as a boundary a moment ago might not be necessary in in the next moment. When we're established in being, being provides us with the inspiration around what boundaries are required in each moment. Yes, yeah. And sometimes I find um, it's harder to have boundaries with particular people in my life, for example, close family members. And I'm, I'm, I'm asking about it, but I also think I know the answer, <laughs> that there's more karma there. Is that it? Yes. Yes, exactly. Yeah. It's, um, families are a very concentrated area of karma. They're one of the key mechanisms that bring about our evolution. And more concentrated karma means less freedoms, more things pushing our buttons, more challenges to overcome. In other words, more boundaries. Yeah. Like Ramdas says, if you think you're enlightened, go and spend Christmas with your family. Yes. Because it can be trigger central. Yeah. If we have a friend who's getting on our nerves and we've had enough of them, we can generally draw up some boundaries and distance ourselves from them or just end the friendship. But that's obviously much harder with a family. We can disown our family and some people do and that can be the right thing for them. But generally speaking, no matter how much they get on our nerves, we have to put up with them and have some contact with them at least. And then there are those rules um, or boundaries that exist within families that we're taught to obey and not to question. We're taught to know our place and not to overstep the mark. Yeah. There's got those boundaries in there, aren't there? And that's deep patterning. And on a deep level, we worry if we do try and change anything, we might lose access to love and intimacy. That's a very deep fear. That's, that can be terrifying. So this is all the stuff that makes it harder to set our own boundaries with our family. But even though it's more difficult, we don't want our family to hold us back from living our dharma. So it's the usual job of, or the usual challenge of trying to find freedom in our karma. That doesn't mean you need to run riot all over the boundaries. Part of the burning of the karma might just be deep acceptance of the people in the family and the limitations on the relationships you can have with them. But equally, working through the karma could involve breaking through long-established boundaries and setting up new ones. So, yeah, family is a very interesting area when it comes to boundaries. Okay, so we've talked a bit about setting those boundaries externally. I'm also interested in internal boundaries. Mm. So, for example, if, you know, charm is um, charm saying be help, get healthy, <laughs> I have a charm signal to get healthy, maybe go to the gym, start eating well, and um, then I'm getting distracted by unhealthy foods, attachments to certain habits or patterns which um, may, might make me not so physically active. Um, how do we, yeah, how do we set those internal boundaries with ourselves? Is it the same as having external ones with people? Yeah, it's the same. 
Ideally, we set our internal boundaries the same way we set our external ones, by following charm. So with the example you gave of food, charm will lead us to food that's easy to digest and that supports the body. So easy, right? Sounds easy enough. But as we know, it's a bit more complicated than that because food's another thing that has lots of karma bound up in it. So it can be harder to set the boundaries with food and harder to stick to them. My body seems to be telling me today that I want to eat fish and chips, but you know, it's a bit fatty, uh, the chips and everything, and I could have an Ayurvedic dal. So is this charm? Does nature really want me to eat some fish and chips? Maybe I need the energy or I just need to enjoy eating fish and chips today. Or maybe it's just pure attachment. It's not always clear, is it? So we might think, oh, I can't trust charm with food. I'll just use the intellect and set the boundaries on what I eat with the intellect. But that can bring its own set of problems as well because the intellect can be mistaken. We might have ingrained ideas about what we should and shouldn't eat based on the past. But actually now our body's different and it wants different things and it can handle different things. And even if we're totally clear on what we should and shouldn't eat, it's still not straightforward because of the pleasure involved. It's very easy to totally ignore charm when there's some pleasure involved and just go straight over the boundaries to the pleasure. And if we have lots of karma with food, it can be one of the stickiest areas to free ourselves from. Yes, got it. Okay. And when we break a, when we know we've overstepped a boundary, say with food or a lifestyle choice, what would be the best thing to do post that decision or action? Because I find the reason I'm asking is like I find, um, Say if I know I've overstepped a boundary, I can almost lean further into continuing that that karmic pattern. So I guess because like a a feeling of guilt might arise, for example, Um, it seems to become further for me to be in my heart, further for me to detect charm and I go, oh, you know what, it's almost throwing in the towel. Well, I overstepped the boundaries, so now I'm just going to overstep all of them. Maybe that's a destruction kind of energy that comes through. I don't know if I'm the only one, but... Yeah, I know what you mean about feeling like you're thrown in the towel. That's when we've looked for fulfilment in the external and we found it, we found a little bit of fulfilment out there and then we get stuck in a loop. So we stop working on our inner fulfillment that we might usually get from going to the gym or meditating or doing yoga or whatever. And we start becoming reliant on the external fixes again. And that's the loop. So we get into those little easy little fixes like comfort food and TV and just generally lazing around. But we're not really thrown in the towel. It's not permanent. What we're doing is more research. We're researching what fulfillment is available externally via the senses. And sometimes we just need to do more research, bottom line. And um, we need to get the third donut and eat the chips and then get the karmic correction. (laughs) The karma won't let us get away with it forever, you know. The karma will eventually say, you know, actually, that wasn't worth it. Look how bad your stomachache is now. Do you want to carry on doing that? And this is the process of evolution and the process of karma. Karma is always a process of us indulging the senses in some way, seeing what we can get away with, and then eventually being shown that it's not a sustainable means of acquiring fulfillment. And the whole process is guiding us back to the inner source of fulfillment. That's what it's all about. Yeah. And in this moment, I'm just realizing how truly loving karma is. Because it's something that um, I've definitely feared. And I think that there is a collective fear sometimes around karma. 
but that just sounds so loving really ultimately yeah i'm coming into um an astrological phase at the moment which i know about because my partner is an expert on vedic astrology and she's introduced me to this kind of astrological phase which i went through once when i was 19 and which brought about the most horrific karmic experience um and so when i was told oh by the way yeah that happens every 30 years you're about to come into it again now first response to that was absolute abject terror (laughs) (laughs) um but the thing is with karma it's simply a teacher it's the universal teacher and it's always there as a potential upliftment karma is an uplifter it may make us feel you know at a particular time quite the opposite but the purpose of it is to uplift and so it's all about kind of harnessing that energy and um and being a good student being open to being taught that's so great i've often felt in my life like before i guess knowing understanding this knowledge more that karma is against me so karma is teaching us um really how to be internally fulfilled and that's and ultimately what we are trying to do through our boundaries is to create fulfillment for ourselves and the other yeah and the interesting thing about you know where you really hit the nail on the head that karma is loving and and helpful is that our means of trying to acquire fulfillment without karma coming along are externally through the senses and when we try and do that it's actually quite a disappointing return because yes we can get sensory fulfillment but it's always temporary the senses are insatiable and in between the sensory fulfillment we have large periods of being unfulfilled and dissatisfied waiting for the next sensory fulfillment to arrive so as long as we're you know not encouraged by karma to access more internal fulfillment we'll always have a rather disappointing amount of fulfillment versus dissatisfaction yeah so karma actually helps us find what we really want to experience as human beings okay and can we set too many boundaries like can it can it lean into a place where you're just being controlling or almost like overprotecting yourself yeah or overprotecting somebody else even yes yeah yeah, we can definitely have too many boundaries. Um, in terms of other people, there can be a bit of a fine line between setting a boundary that allows them to find their own way to evolve and trying to manipulate them or control their experience, which is definitely a karmic no-no. So think about it this way. You can set a boundary on one side, but they still have freedom to explore their own karma on the other side. Can you give an example of that? Yeah, yeah. So, um, for example, it's fine to limit the time and attention you give someone and draw that boundary, you know, because they're not behaving in a way you enjoy. But it's not fine to say, I won't talk to you or stay with you unless you learn Vedic meditation, if they're not interested in learning it. Yes, yeah. That won't be supported by nature, as it's a violation of karmic law, because we shouldn't try to control someone else's experience and enforce their evolution without their inquiry without them wanting to it just doesn't work and we actually bring karma on ourselves if we try and do that so 
Obviously, this will be different with babies and very young children, for example, where our primary role is to keep them safe. But the sooner we can remove one of the rails and just keep them safe, but allow them to have their own experience, the better. So not forcing them to keep going with violin lessons (laughs) or being in the church choir if they hate it. That's a bit of personal trauma coming up there. (laughs) Um, And we can set too many boundaries for ourselves too, like having rigid plans and setting goals that don't allow for changes in what's evolutionary for us along the way. So nature might have other ideas and be trying to lead us to something much more exciting and fulfilling, but we can't hear the charm or respond to it because we've trapped ourselves in our own boundaries. They're too rigid. We've got these plans, these places we're going, things we've got to achieve. So boundaries are supposed to keep us out of destruction and guide us towards creation. But if we're not careful, we can fence ourselves in with them and keep ourselves in maintenance. Yes. You see? Yes. Which then attracts destruction. Yes. Um, which is what we were trying to avoid in the first place. Yes. With the boundaries. Yes. Example of that might be you never go to bed after 10 p.m. because you know it's not good for you. It's not Ayurvedically good for you. So you never do it. Even if something good's happening at 11 o'clock one night. So you cut yourself off from the charm of that thing because it's outside your rigid boundaries. Or you decide being loyal is the most important thing. So you stay in a relationship much longer than was actually useful to anyone. Those kind of things. Yeah, because those boundaries are leaning into attachment, right? Yeah. Those boundaries were actually ways of avoiding moving into the unknown. You've set yourself a little cage out of your boundaries. Yes. So then this just re-emphasizes that boundaries need to be coming from charm. That's right. They need to be fluid and Mm. dynamic and respond to the need of the time. Yes. You did touch on children just briefly, and I'm wondering what's the best way for parents to set boundaries for children Mm. because obviously there is a lot of um, desire and, and want and natural instinct to keep your children safe, and you do need to give children boundaries, right, because they haven't, like so much of their brain hasn't developed and their they need they look up to you and they need you to to give them some, like a, a lot of safety and direction um and then how do you balance that with also letting the kids really make their own choices and stumble and be with their own charm yeah it's always the responsibility of the higher consciousness state to set the boundaries in all relationships so kids would be the perfect example And when we set boundaries for children, we're introducing them to the boundaries that exist in the world. We're introducing them to karma, essentially. So if we give them free reign and they're never presented with a boundary, they won't be ready when life inevitably presents its own boundaries. They'll get a shock and they won't be able to adapt. So it's introducing them to karmic cause and effect. If you pull your sister's hair and cause her to suffer, there'll be consequences. If you don't go to sleep at a good time, there'll be consequences. If you don't eat your vegetables, there'll be consequences and so on. So again, it's like as parents, we're imitating nature. If you think of nature as our parent and the way it teaches us to do what's good for us is by setting us boundaries and then correcting us when we go over those boundaries, we do the same for our kids. We're like the stand-in charm signal for them because, you know, kids, they'll just do whatever. Otherwise, they'll just do whatever their body tells them to and get themselves in all sorts of trouble. Yeah. Yeah. So it's really a way of preparing them for the real world. Yeah. And part of the skillful setting of boundaries for kids is to 
remove that safety boundary sometimes and allow them to directly experience cause and effect. You know, rather than hovering over them on the climbing frame with your hands a couple of inches away from them the whole time, maybe they need, you know, on one occasion to fall off mm. climbing frame um, and get a feel for that cause and effect and their own limitations. Yes, yeah. Would you, would you say that society's boundaries, same laws that are put into place from the government, is that society's way of, like, parenting us? Yes. Yes, it's it's kind of trying to. That's it. And that's why and people get really annoyed about it. You know, they, they talk about the nanny state and so on because it has that kind of patronising quality to it. Um, laws, you know, like government, public laws, human law, are society's attempt to mimic natural law, to mimic karma. And sometimes more accurately than others. It's quite interesting, actually, when you look closely at human law, you can see that it's based on some of the same principles as karma. And how karma works is it limits our freedoms when we deviate from natural law. So when we do something that's not in the interest of evolution, it limits our freedoms to enjoy life in an area related to that thing. And we find our experience of life narrowed down until we learn to overcome our attachment in that area, and then we get our freedom back. That's how karma works. So say you gaslight your partner um, to project your jealousy onto them and you tell them they're always flirting or something when it's really it's your issue. And as long as you do that, your jealousy won't go away. It will get more intense as long as you're in denial. It might even start to dominate your life to the point where you, you can't even enjoy parties anymore and you can't enjoy anything where there's competition for your partner's attention. And the karma keeps testing you until you can't avoid confronting it any longer and you have to transcend it. That's how karma works. The more awareness we have around some behavior we should change, but we resist changing it, the more it turns up the heat. The more awareness, the harsher or the harder the karmic lesson, and also the quicker it arrives. So the harsher the sentence, if you like. And Maharishi had a great way of explaining this. He said, imagine a child, a very small child in the sweet shop with their parents. And when they leave, the child takes some sweets without paying for them. And the sweet shop owner sees him doing that. And he very gently tells the child that they need to pay for the sweet next time. He gives them the sweet this time, but he says, next time you have to pay for it. So it's a very gentle little lesson. But now imagine a lawyer goes into the sweet shop and takes something without paying. The shop owner won't be so understanding with the lawyer the lawyer has a much higher awareness of the law, but he still breaks it. So the police might be called. And then imagine a high court judge steals some sweets, and now it's front page news. Get the idea? Yeah. I don't know if it's yeah. front page news with some sweets, but you get the idea. That was Maharishi's <laughs> example. <laughs> and this is how karma works. The more awareness we have, the harsher and quicker the correction. Because if we are aware of the laws of nature and go against them anyway... That means we must have the intention to break the law. It's not innocent anymore. It's ignorance. It's yes. ignoring what you know. Yeah. And human law works in the same way. So take the situation where someone kills someone. If it's not premeditated, say it's manslaughter, totally accidental or whatever, they get the lower sentence. But if it is murder, but it's not premeditated, and they have less awareness in the moment, basically say it's a crime of passion and they were overcome by their emotions and lost control, then they get a shorter sentence than if it's a premeditated murder and they were fully aware of what they were doing and had the intention of doing it. 
That's murder yeah. in the first degree, and that gets the longest sentence. You see what I mean? That's mm. like, you know, I was talking about earlier, like building the infinity pool on your neighbor's property. Mm. That's where all the intention, i.e. the premeditated nature of the murder, gets bundled into the sentencing. Yes. Ah, oh, that makes so much sense. I'm thinking about, like, that it can, it can feel tricky living in society mm. <laughs> sometimes because, like, with certain laws... Yeah, like I instinctually feel mm, that doesn't that doesn't feel like it's mimicking nature. That feels like it's um, like human ego or control. So, for example, I got fined the other day for driving. Yeah, and um, driving what well, I pulled up in an incorrect area. And, you know, there was a policeman kind of sitting behind the trees in his car waiting for people to do this because I guess a lot of people do this in this specific area. And, you know, a part of me was just like, oh, my goodness, like uh, I don't feel like this was a particularly wrong action that I've done there was no intention to hurt anybody and you know in my mind it felt like a safe thing um but I was fined quite a bit of money and I think there was a demerit even and that kind of felt like for me a maybe a law that I don't know didn't need to exist or maybe I just don't want it to exist <laughs> yeah yeah no I think you're on the right lines though um there's like studies about this you know, ethical theory and some laws, we can say, seem to be in the greater human good. And they're altruistic. Yeah. Um, and they're designed to keep people safe and so on. Yes. And some laws are simply developed uh, with other agendas, such as to accumulate money. Yes. Um, and they're the ones that we really feel that injustice around. Yeah, so how, so how do you navigate that? How do you navigate those boundary lines that, you know, are, I guess imposed upon you? And you can... You can you can suffer like you know real consequences from it um but you know that they're not mimicking nature is it is that partly to do with that like this that that is part of our overall karma that we are living in a world where things are sometimes not fair absolutely correct yeah, we're living in the Kali Yuga, um, the age of ignorance. And in this age, there is a kind of aggregated or average state of consciousness on the planet. And that state of consciousness creates the society we live in. It chooses the government, and the government chooses the law. So what we live in is a reflection of the average state of consciousness of our planet at the moment. <laughs> and in Kali Yuga, it's impossible, it is said, to be totally virtuous. So realistically, human laws aren't going to be perfect expressions of nature in Kali Yuga. They're going to have plenty of human self-interest sprinkled in there. And as for how we deal with them, we just need to reframe the way we think about them. Like you say, we're, we're probably not going to be able to change many of these laws. It's our karma to interact with them. And a minute ago, we were talking about how loving karma is. Well, if karma's loving... That includes everything, includes parking tickets and demerit points and policemen. <laughs> They're not mistakes. They're not outside of karma. They are karma. They're opportunities to evolve. So 
it's still the universe being loving and helping us when we get an annoying ticket. It's just particularly well disguised. Well, I think this is a good place to end. Thank you. I've learned so much from this podcast. It was a good one in the end, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, we'll be back. We've got one more episode in this season. The season that dragged on forever. (laughs) But we will return with episode six. Um, Thanks, everyone, for listening. Thank you. And uh, we'll be back as soon as we can. Lots of love and Jay Gurudev. Jay Gurudev. As well as teaching Vedic meditation in Bondi, I'm now also teaching in Melbourne. So if you're listening to this, you live in Melbourne and you'd like to learn Vedic meditation, you can go to bondimeditation.com.au forward slash Melbourne for all the details. Thank you.